the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, today's program. I am looking forward to a conversation with Owen Strand. He is the author most recently. He's written 20 books. But his most recent, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Uh, highly recommend the book. Highly recommend the conversation that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's news. Well, maybe you've heard the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said today that fully vaccinated individuals should wear masks in certain indoor areas. And they advised universal masking for schools, regardless of individuals vaccination status with rising infections due to the Delta variant in areas with substantial and high transmission. CDC recommends that fully vaccinated individuals wear a mask in public indoor settings to help prevent spread of Delta and protect others. The agency wrote this was ahead of the uh, briefing. Uh, Though rare, breakthrough infections do occur in fully vaccinated individuals. They went on to say, however, unvaccinated populations account for nearly all current hospitalizations and recent deaths. Well, in a significant shift from prior guidance, the health agency recommended universal indoor masking for all teachers, staff, students and visitors to K through 12 schools, regardless of vaccination status. In recent days, they went on to say, I have seen new scientific data from sequenced outbreak investigations showing that the Delta variant behaves uniquely differently from past strains of the virus that cause COVID-19. That's from the CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, speaking to reporters over a call. Information on the Delta variant from several states and other counties Um, Rather, countries indicate that in rare occasions, some vaccinated people infected with the Delta variant uh, after uh, vaccination may be contagious and spread the virus to others. Well, this new science is worrisome and unfortunately warrants an update to our recommendations, Walensky went on to say. Well, she sidestepped whether the new guidance would remove incentives for some people to seek vaccines for their kids. The CDC previously advised masks to be worn indoors by all individual ages, uh, two and older, not fully vaccinated against coronavirus. They previously stated that those who are fully vaccinated didn't need to wear a mask or physically distance in any setting, including while participating in extracurricular activities or while eating. However, it noted that based on the needs of the community, a school may opt to make mask use universally required regardless of vaccination status. Well, the CDC urged those not yet vaccinated and eligible to receive a COVID-19 vaccine to do so, writing unvaccinated individuals should get vaccinated and continue masking until they are fully vaccinated with the Delta variant. This is more urgent than ever. The highest uh, spread of cases and severe outcomes is happening in places with low vaccination rates and among unvaccinated people. Meanwhile, addressing uh, reporters today after visiting the office of the director of national intelligence in Virginia, the president suggested the administration has been de- deliberating the, mo- the uh, move 
uh, as the vaccination rates have tapered off uh, (laughs) nationally. That's under consideration right now. But if you're not vaccinated, you're not nearly as smart as I thought you were. That's a good move to insult people to try to get them to get vaccinated. But he said that the president in response to a reporter who asked whether the administration is weighing a federal employee vaccine requirement. Meanwhile, the Department of Veterans Affairs, as you probably know, sent an email to all employees mandating that all of their health care personnel receive the COVID-19 shot. Well, that mandate gives each employee eight weeks to comply and employees will receive four hours of paid administrative leave after demonstrating they have, in fact, had the shot or shots. Since the mandate was issued, Liberty Council has received uh, pleas for help including doctors, psychiatrists, nurses, and other health care workers, chaplains, and more. These employees do not want the COVID shots, and they're afraid of losing their jobs. Well, Liberty Council is going to be representing these VA employees. Well, Veterans Affairs Secretary Dennis McDonough announced he's going to make COVID-19 in- injections mandatory for Title 38 VA health care personnel, including physicians, dentists, podiatrists, optometrists, registered nurses, physician assistants, expanded function dental auxiliaries, and chiropractors who work in Veterans Health Administration facilities, visit uh, the Veterans Administration health facilities, or provide direct care to those that the VA serves. Well, in his statement, the secretary said, whenever a veteran or VA employee sets foot in a VA facility, they deserve to know that we have done everything in our power to protect them from COVID-19. With this mandate, we can once again make and keep that fundamental promise. Well, the VA has also sent a letter to all veterans uh, to serve their country once again by getting the COVID shot. Now, making that comparison seems like a bit of a low blow. Uh, but nonetheless, the VA is the first federal agency in the United States to mandate the COVID shots. We'll see how that goes. Well, according to uh, Liberty, the COVID shots cannot be made mandatory under authorization of emergency use or the EAU on March the 27th of last year, the Health and Human Services uh, uh, declared that circumstances exist justifying the emergency, the authorization of emergency use of drugs and biological products for COVID-19. That means people must be told the risks and benefits and they have the right to decline a medication that is not fully licensed. All of the COVID-19 mRNA injections, Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna or vaccines, Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, have received only um, authorization of emergency use and not full FDA approval. So it may not be a lawful mandate. Furthermore, they point out that COVID shots cannot be mandatory under Title VII. In general, employee vaccine religious exemption requests must be accommodated where a reasonable accommodation exists without undue hardship to the employer under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, of 1964. Now, many people hold sincere religious beliefs against taking any vaccine or taking those derived from aborted fetal cell lines or taking those sold by companies that profit from the sale of vaccines, other and other products derived from abortion. Title seven, as amended, prohibits two categories of employment practices. It's unlawful for an employer, one, to fail or refuse to hire or to discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to uh, his compensation, terms, conditions or privileges of employment. 
uh, because of such individuals, race, color, religion, sex or national origin or two to limit, segregate or classify his employees or applicants for employment in any way which would deprive or tend to deprive any individual of employment opportunities or otherwise adversely affect his status as an employee because of such individuals, race, color, religion, sex or national origin. Well, federal workers may also claim religious exemptions under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That law applies to all levels of the federal government, including the VA. So Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver said the COVID shots have only been approved for experimental and investigational use under the federal emergency use authorization law. These shots cannot be mandated or administered without the free and full consent of the individual. So while the VA is requiring vaccination it cannot lawfully do so we'll continue to follow that story to see where it ultimately leads you're listening to the georgine rice show you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq we're back you're listening to the georgine rice show I want to encourage you to stick around owen strand will be joining me in the five o'clock hour right at the top of the hour his latest book christianity and wokeness how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it Excellent book. Hope you'll stick around for that. Well, the CDC uh, has reissued guidance that vaccinated individuals wear masks in certain indoor uh, settings, as I mentioned earlier. This is a completely, uh, uh, well, not entirely about face, but for the most part, step that cuts against efforts to persuade people that vaccines are worth taking. But it also could lead to an eventual shift away from vaccine persuasion and toward Coercion. Politico's write-up of the news includes a noteworthy quote from Lena Wynn, who's the former head of Planned Parenthood. I'm glad the CDC headed the overwhelming consensus of public health officials across the, the country. Lena Wynn, a doctor at Georgetown University, writes, I wish that they would further and fully call for a system of proof for vaccination. Otherwise, the vaccinated are being punished by the actions of the unvaccinated, which presumably shouldn't be true because the vaccine prevents you from uh, at least being deathly ill, if not um, protected altogether. Well, the arg- the argument at this point is pretty clear. Communicate that everybody will now be forced back to wearing masks indoors because of irresponsible people, and it will build up public sentiment in favor of mandating vaccination or of creating a system of vaccine passports. It's similar to the way that government health care spending means that uh, unhealthy people impose costs on all taxpayers this has been used as the pretext for policies such as indoor smoking and trans fat bans. And perhaps this is the, the strategy that we're now seeing. We'll continue to follow that story. Well, Simone Biles pulled out of the entire team finals at the Tokyo Olympics on Tuesday after slipping during her vault attempt. The superstar American gymnast upon whom everyone's eyes were uh, poised appeared to slip and nearly landed on her knees trying to land her um, uh, her planned vault. She finished with a 13.766 score. For those of you who are following, was seen talking with trainers after the attempt. Now, the assumption was that she had perhaps injured herself. Well, the Olympics broadcast uh, said that Biles had pulled out of the rest of the team finals. Jordan Childs was set to perform for her on the uneven bars. Uh, her foot was seen strapped heavily. The broadcast showed the superstar gymnast in her warm-up gear. Well, according to uh, reports, Biles was uh, talking with trainers before deciding to pull out. And again, it was thought that she was injured in that vault attempt. But later, it was announced that she simply uh, had mental health issues. The pressure that she carried into this competition, and when you consider she didn't have her 
support system there with her. Um, the conditions under which uh, they were called upon to perform. There were no fans in the stands that get your adrenaline going and you perform for the people who are there in the room and not for the people you imagine might be watching via uh, their television. And she uh, came back and said, you know, I, I just for the sake of my mental health, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the whole world. I'm going to step away. And there were some critics who suggested under these circumstances she should have Move forward, but uh, it took some real guts uh, to step forward and say, no, I'm, I'm not in the, my right headspace, if you will, to move forward. It's possible that she will return for some uh, events later in the week, but that will remain to be seen. But we'll, we'll uh, watch the Olympic Games and see what happens next. Well, the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has uh, held its first hearing today. Kicking off what is likely to be a politically charged and contentious several months focusing on that violent day. Well, the hearing focused on the law enforcement experience on January 6th. The four witnesses at the hearing are uh, were Private First Class Harry Dunn, Sergeant uh, Aguilino Gunnell of the U.S. Capitol Police, Officers Michael Fanone and Daniel Hodges of the Metropolitan Police Department. They provided detail and emotional testimony about the attack on the Capitol. To be honest, said one, I did not recognize my fellow citizens who stormed the Capitol on January 6th or the United States they claimed to represent. Gunnell, an immigrant and army veteran, said the rioters called me traitor, a disgrace and shouted that I, I, an army veteran and police officer should be executed. Well, I don't know why he was so surprised, because that sort of event took place all across uh, the country in cities, including Portland. So this was not unusual among fellow citizens. This was just a unique location. It happened to be in the Capitol. Another said, I heard specific threats to the lives of Speaker Nancy Pelosi and also Vice President Mike Pence. Scannell added, saying that uh, he his officers uh, fought hand and uh, hand to hand, inch by inch to prevent an invasion of the Capitol by a mob intent on subverting our democratic process. Well, Gunnell said that the attackers were shouting, Trump sent us, pick the right side. Shortly after the hearing started, the chairman, Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi, who emphasized that at least one rioter said he was at the Capitol to overthrow the government and that others chanted, hang Mike Pence, played video of the violence that played out in the Capitol. It was rather graphic and profane. Well, the graphic video showed rioters pushing through police barricades, saying expletive to police, uh, played panicked police radio tape, including a graphic body cam footage and showed violent crowds overwhelming officers as they pushed toward the inside of the Capitol. Also in the video were the gallows set up outside the Capitol and rioters saying they were coming for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and former uh, Vice President Mike Pence, who they called a traitor. The video closed with one person saying we need 30,000 guns up here and another person saying next trip. He will be back. He warns us. Um, it, I'll, it was just chilling. Uh, Thompson, another said, we need to understand how and why the big lie festered and we need to figure out how, how to fix the damage. Representative Lynn Cheney, who is the only uh, Republican on the panel, who is a vocal critic of Trump, followed Thompson, who comment, whose comments rather uh, lamented uh, that a bill for a special commission modeled on the 9-11 commission failed in the Senate. But she said the committee must investigate the events of January 6th. Anyway, well, that investigation has begun and is very likely to take several weeks before the conclusion, which is essentially foregone, will be announced.
In other news, despite efforts to defund the police, some Democrat-led cities spent millions on private security for their mayors. As crime surges across the nation, mayors in approximately 20 U.S. cities that have called for defunding the police have received millions in taxpayer funds toward their own personal security details. New data compiled by Forbes auditor Open the Books through Freedom of Information Act requests reveals that the city of Chicago, for example, spent $17.3 million between 2015 and 2020 to guard unnamed city officials. Despite Mary Lori Lightfoot's claim that she is opposed to uh, cutting funding for the police, records show the city quietly cut 400 police officer positions in 2020, while the cost of her security detail hit an all-time high of $3.4 million for 22 officers, according to the report. Chicago reportedly spent $2.8 million for 17 officers in 2019, the same amount um, for 16 officers in 2018, $2.7 million for 20 officers in 2017, and a similar amount for 2016 officers. In San Francisco, $12.4 million was reportedly spent between 2015 and 2020 to protect the mayor there, London Breed, as the city said it would divest $120 million from its police budget over two years to be put towards health programs. Security detail spending for Breed amounted to $1.7 million in 2015 and $2.6 million in 2020, and all the intervening years as well. While in New York, the city council approved slashing a billion dollars from its $6 billion police budget, with $354 million to be reallocated to mental health, homelessness, and education. However, spending on Mayor Bill de Blasio's security detail reportedly cost taxpayers $358,000 during his failed presidential bid. In Baltimore, approximately $3.6 million was spent in 2020 for police to cover Mayor Brandon Scott, State's Attorney General uh, Marilyn Mosby, and Police Commissioner Michael Harrison, despite about $22 million being eliminated from the city's police budget. So at least city officials were protected, while the citizens, well, not so much. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 37 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, right at the top, Owen Strand, author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Very important book. Great interview. That's coming up at 5. Well, President Biden called a reporter a pain in the neck for a question about Veterans Affairs COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine mandate. I'm sure they want to do that more often than they actually do. But the president called the reporter the pain on Monday in the Oval Office for asking him a question that was off his preferred topic of Iraq. In fact, he was with the Iraqi leader sitting in the Oval Office with Iraq Prime Minister Mustafa al uh, Kadimi, the president smiled as NBC's Kelly O'Donnell asked him uh, to comment on the Veterans Affairs Secretary announcement that frontline VA workers would be required to get a coronavirus vaccine. You are such a pain in the neck, the president rep- re- replied. But I'm going to answer your question because we've known each other uh, for so long, he said. It's uh, nothing to do with Iraq. I'll answer your question. Yes, Veterans Affairs is going to, in fact, require that all doctors working in their facilities are going to have to be vaccinated. Well, it goes far beyond doctors. But O'Donnell said she took his comments as a compliment, as Biden chuckled. 
Biden announced the end of the U.S. combat mission in Iraq on Monday. Well, the president was genial with O'Donnell, but he's lashed out in the past at reporters over questions he finds unfair or unfounded. Last month, he snapped at CNN's Caitlin Collins for a question about Russian President Vladimir Putin, telling her she was in the, uh, the wrong business at one point. And he also had sharp replies on the subject of his son, Hunter Biden, throughout 2020. Well, President Biden has at times been criticized since he took office for being too scripted and expecting questions to be on his topic of choice. He's lately uh, been more loose with his words, such as when he had to walk back remarks to reporters that Facebook was killing people because it allowed the publication of misleading information about coronavirus vaccines. In other developments, Michael Goodwin called Biden the divider while asking what happened to all the unity talk in his inaugural address. Laura Ingram says Biden uh, blows his chance of unity and prosperity while letting Fauci lecture Americans. PolitiFact declares um, claims rather that Biden and Vice President Harris distrusted the covid vaccine under Trump's false despite Past rhetoric. And John Kennedy says Biden lied to the American people. Clearly, he believes in open borders. Well, Mike Enzi, former Wyoming senator, is dead at 77. Enzi, the former Wyoming senator, died Monday after sustaining serious injuries in a recent bicycle accident near his home in Gillette, Wyoming. He was um, 77. He passed away peacefully while surrounded by his family, a statement read. His family expresses their deep appreciation for all the prayers, support, and concern. They now ask for privacy and continued prayer during this difficult time. Well, Enzi's family said he was admitted to UC Health Medical Center of the Rockies in Loveland, Colorado. He was unconscious and unable to recover from his injuries, which included a broken neck and ribs. Well, Enzi fell near his home at about 8.30 p.m. That was on Friday, a family friend said, around the time his uh, Gillette uh, police received a report of a man lying unresponsive in a road near a bike. Police have seen no indication that anybody else was nearby or involved in the accident, uh, according to Lieutenant Brent Wasson, speaking to the the Gillette News Record. Former Senator Barbara Boxer was attacked and robbed in her home state of California. Alaska's uh, Lydia Jacoby shocks the Olympics, winning the gold in swimming. Floridians are angry with uh, Governor DeSantis as he tries to get his constituents back to work. Lucid Motors stock uh, pops in its debut. The CEO's goal is to offer affordable electric vehicles. An American airline is warning to um, of jet fuel shortages nationwide. Tesla speeds past Wall Street expectations for milestone profits. And Lockheed's F-35A could face the first price rise in years as inflation bites. Well, pro-democracy protesters marched in D.C. for Cubans. And several Republican lawmakers marched with them. Meanwhile, the Cuban embassy in Paris was attacked with gasoline bombs and the Cuban foreign minister blamed the United States. Mary Anastasia O'Grady says this. Cubans need outside help. They need the civilized world to come together and ostracize the barbarians in Havana. This requires U.S. leadership. Unfortunately, the Biden administration hasn't seemed up to the task. You can read more of her column in the Wall Street Journal. Democrats are facing wrath as the public learns more about critical race theory. We'll talk a bit about that with Owen Strand, 
coming up in the second hour of today's program. The story notes that mainstream Democrats in the Biden administration appear to be underestimating parents' anger in places where critical race theory is top of mind. Objections to new equity plans are not the sole province of conservatives, but extend to many moderate and independent voters, according to political interviews with school board members, political operatives and activists in Democratic and left-leaning communities, including the northern Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., Palm Beach County, Florida, New York's Westchester County, Maricopa County, covering Phoenix, Arizona, and suburban Detroit. Rand Paul has sent a criminal referral to Dr. or rather for Dr. Fauci to the Department of Justice. Nothing will come of that. This is regarding his claim that Fauci lied to Congress about the NIH funding going to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. From the story, Paul later sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland alleging that Fauci had potentially violated 18 U.S. Code 1001, which states whoever makes any materially false, fictitious or fraudulent statement or representation as part of any investigation or review conducted pursuant to the authority of any committee, subcommittee, commission or office of the Congress consistent with applicable rules of the House or Senate is subject to criminal fines and imprisonment of up to five years. Well, from the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Mr. Paul, excitable as he may be, is a medical doctor who did his homework. The Senate clearly sees a political benefit to hammering Dr. Fauci and China, but the celebrity scientist and his allies have obvious conflicts of interest. Well, Minnesota fourth graders were given an equity survey and were told not to tell their parents. One question said, do you currently identify yourself as female, male, transgender? Transgender people have a gender identity or gender expression that differs from their assigned sex. For example, they were born male, but now identify as female or something else. The question asked a young boy in Haley's class asked the teacher if his mom could explain the question to him. The teacher denied the student's request, telling him that he could not ask his mother and that the class was not to repeat the questions to their parents. Needless to say, parents were a little put out. Democratic mayors who defund police get millions for private security, as we mentioned a bit earlier. And Prime Minister Boris Yeltsin, or Johnson rather, uh, is set to launch a communist China-style social credit score app that will reward families based on government-approved choices at the grocery store. Healthier choices will be rewarded with loyalty points in the app Uh, which will uh, translate into discounts and other incentives. Boris Johnson is supposed to be a conservative. What uh, could a far-left radical like Joe Biden and his further far-left administration imagine for the United States? It's being asked, well, don't think for a moment that public servants like Fauci, Harris, Sanders, Warren, and others are not considering how to take care of we Americans. Be informed, not misled. Well, CNN has joined Biden in insisting Fox News is anti-vax. I watch it pretty regularly, and no, that's not the case. The evidence says otherwise, according to the story. The ACLU is arguing that the Second Amendment is associated with racism, as is everything else these days. Charles uh, Cook, as a cursory glance at the record shows, it is not gun rights that have been historically associated with racism, but gun control. And to the extent that up until about 1970, the two ideas were utterly inextricable in American life. To look back through this country's history and conclude that it was the advocates of the right to bear arms who were the problem is, well, it's chutzpah on a level I didn't know possible. Somehow the people advancing this case 
uh, have managed to take a position that was advanced by figures such as Justice Roger Taney and outfits such as the Ku Klux Klan and to pin it onto their opponents, many of whom, like the men who drafted the 14th Amendment, were explicitly fighting against the widespread attempts to disarm free blacks. This is intellectual vandalism and the ACLU should know better and have no part of it. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Reminder, coming up in the first segment of the next hour, we'll talk with Dr. Owen Strand. He's the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. I also want to remind you that the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise 2021 is on and you're invited. You can join Alistair Begg, Laura Story, and Fernando Ortega on the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise this summer. You'll be surrounded by the fellowship of like-minded travelers along with Bible teaching and worship. August the 28th through September 4th. Well, this once-in-a-lifetime travel experience is hosted by Salem Media Group and our partners, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. You'll bring home life-changing memories to treasure and stories to share. Join us for this unforgettable Alaska cruise this summer and register today at kpdq.com. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, the German women's gymnastic team rejected leotards. It's a pushback against the sexualization of women. From that story, we want to make sure everyone feels comfortable and we show everyone that we can wear whatever we want and look amazing, feel amazing, whether it's a long leotard or a short one. Uh, this is uh, Voss of the team, the German team, which wore full body suits at the European Artistic Gymnastics Championship in April and a move aimed at countering the sexualization of the sport. Uh, we're keen for the trend to catch on, they say. We want to be a role model in any case to make everyone have the courage to follow us. Well, Dubai has beat the heat by using drones to create rain. If it works there, who knows? Why not elsewhere? Well, on this day in history, 1794, French Revolutionary leader Maximilien Robespierre is overthrown and placed under arrest. He's executed the following day. 1866, Cyrus at W. Field finishes laying the first successful underwater telegraph cable between North America and Europe. A previous cable in 1858, which is pretty amazing, uh, burned out after only a few weeks use. 1909, during the first official test of the U.S. Army's first airplane, Orville Wright flies himself and a passenger, Lieutenant Frank Lamb, above Fort Myer, Virginia, for one hour and 12 minutes. On this day in history, 1960, Vice President Richard M. Nixon is nominated for president on the first ballot at the Republican National Convention in Chicago. 1967, President Lyndon Baines Johnson appoints the Kerner Commission to assess the causes of urban rioting. The same day, black militant H. Rapp Brown tells a press conference in Washington that violence was as American as cherry pie. 1974, the House Judiciary Committee votes 27 to 11 to adopt the first of three articles of impeachment against President Richard Nixon, charging he had personally engaged in a course of conduct designed to obstruct justice in the Watergate case. On this day in history, 1996, terror strikes the Atlanta Olympics as a pipe bomb explodes at Centennial Olympic Park, directly killing one person and injuring 111. Well, anti-government extremist Eric Rudolph would later plead guilty to the bombing, exonerating security guard Richard Jewell, 
who had been wrongly suspected. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, the White House announces that North Korea had returned the remains of what were believed to be U.S. servicemen killed during the Korean War, with the U.S. military plane making a rare trip into North Korea to retrieve 55 cases of remains. Well, three Republican senators are leading an amicus brief to the Supreme Court urging the justices to overturn the landmark abortion case Roe v. Wade. Republican Senators Josh Hawley of Missouri, Mike Lee of Utah, Ted Cruz of Texas filed a brief within the Supreme Court on Tuesday in the case of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Well, in the filed brief, the senators urged that the court should overturn its ruling in two abortion-related cases, Planned Parenthood of southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey and the landmark case Roe versus Wade. This status quo is untenable, where a legal doctrine has repeatedly failed to offer clarity, where it has proved unworkable in the past and will likely engender unpredictable consequences in the future. Its existence constitutes an open invitation to judges to interpret it according to their own policy preferences, usurping the constitutional prerogatives of the legislature, the senators wrote in their brief. Roe and Casey should be overturned, and the question of abortion legislation should be returned to the states, they continued. Well, according to the senator's joint press release, they argue that the brief that the Supreme Court's abortion jurisprudence finds no basis in the Constitution and that the court's undue burden standard in particular has resulted in contradictory outcomes, disarray in the lower courts and judicial lawmaking. Hawley, Lee and Cruz are the latest Republican officials to call for the Supreme Court to overturn the landmark case. You might recall just days ago, Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch also filed an amicus brief in the same case last week, stating that the decision in Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong. Fitch urged justices to allow a controversial law in Mississippi that bans most abortions after 15 weeks to take effect. The conclusion that abortion is a constitutional right has no basis in text, structure, history or tradition, Fitch wrote in the brief filed on Thursday. Again, these are briefs that will be given to the Supreme Court as they take up the case that has the potential uh, to um, result in a broad decision that could overturn Roe versus Wade and the other Casey decision. It's not likely uh, but it is possible. Well, again, when the uh, Supreme Court meets once again for their next uh, session, we'll certainly follow that story. But of course, the outcome won't be known until sometime next summer. However, when the uh, the arguments are heard, we may have some indication of based on the kind of questions that are being asked, may have some indication of uh, how they might be leaning one way or the other. So we'll follow that story as it develops. But again, this is at least a year away, maybe a little bit less. Well, in our second hour, we're going to uh, share a conversation with Owen Strand. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. It really is very informative to understand some of the terms that are currently being used and whether or not they are consistent or inconsistent with what the Scripture teaches on principles of justice and so on. So we're going to talk with him about that. He also provides a glossary of terms so we know what terms mean as they're being used and a list, a reading list that includes those who are proponents of uh, critical race theory, for example, those who um, uh, who write about it and advocate for it, and also those within the Christian tradition who uh, have analyzed it based on a biblical worldview. So a very useful 
Uh, and as the subtitle of the book would suggest, a way to stop its infiltration into the church is also a major theme of that book. We'll be talking with him about that uh, after news and traffic here at the top of the hour. Also in the five o'clock hour, once uh, we finish my conversation with uh, Dr. Strand, we'll share a bit about the American Bible Society study that was uh, released at the first of the year, but has been, um, well, trickled out over time. The fourth chapter is now available online as well as the first three chapters, and that will continue through the remainder of the year. Uh, it has to do, it's the American Bible Society study on church participation and how it leads to flourishing. That's the subject of the latest um, part of the survey that's been released uh, just um, this month. So we'll uh, share a little bit about that and how you can download uh, the the survey altogether, the study altogether. And for the next several months, they'll be uh, releasing different elements of it. Also, I wanted to mention that on Wednesday, we're going to talk with um, Hadia Maramadi. She served in the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan. She was also a, um, a devout Muslim who became a Christian. She's now an exclusive columnist for the Christian Post. She wants to uh, join us to talk about What's happening in Afghanistan and the impact that the withdrawal of U.S. troops is likely to have some concerns that are are raised there and so on. So she'll bring an interesting perspective on a number of issues. Uh, We'll talk a bit about her personal story coming from uh, the Muslim uh, religion to Christianity, where she, as I mentioned, is a uh, an exclusive columnist for the Christian Post. We'll also talk about her work in the U.S. embassy in Afghanistan. And from that vantage point, her observations with the role that the U.S. played militarily. And uh, she will share with us her perspective on the impact that the withdrawal of U.S. troops is uh, having there. We know that by December, uh, combat troops uh, will be removed altogether. So um, there's lots of speculation as well as uh, information about <clears throat> uh, the role that opponents of the United States uh, are having there since the withdrawal. And we'll talk with her about All of that, that's coming up uh, tomorrow on the program. That will be in the first hour, by the way, if you're uh, interested. All right, coming up, we've got news and traffic, and we'll share my conversation with Owen Strawn, um, who is the author of 20 books, the most recent, Christianity and Wokeness. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I've been looking forward to the conversation we're just about to have with Dr. Owen Strand. He's the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. It's published by Salem Books. He points out that wokeness has been a term that's widely used by the media and the left since 2014. Well, since then, the idea of wokeness has bled into the culture, into television, and now even our churches. Preachers are speaking on critical race theory, telling their congregations that silence is violence and that whiteness is white supremacy. And while these pastors might mean well, this so-called woke gospel is not true justice or true Christianity. Well, Dr. Um, uh, Strand is the provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and senior fellow with the Family Research Council. He's become an expert on social justice and wokeness. In his latest book, Christianity and Wokeness, uh, Dr. Strand writes about the alternative religion of wokeness, one that is far from Christ's teaching. And by diving into the teachings of critical race theory and its problematic cousin, wokeness, 
Dr. Strand has a simple warning to the American church. By embracing wokeness, you're embracing teaching antithetical to the gospel. And that's an important point we need to uh, to ponder here today. Well, again, Dr. Strand is a provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council, earned his Ph.D. in theology from uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's the author of some 20 books, including Reenchanting Humanity, A Theology of Mankind. He lives with his family in Conway, Arkansas, and I am just delighted that he is with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us having you back on. I really appreciate it. Well, this is such an important topic, and I fear that many of us are using the words or even referencing some of the concepts without fully understanding what they mean or the implications of it. So this is such a timely book. And as the title would suggest, this book is written uh, for those who embrace a Christian worldview or at least have some curiosity about a Christian worldview to discover whether or not it's compatible. Wokeness or critical race theory is compatible uh, with a biblical worldview. Yes, that's exactly right. Fundamentally, wokeness means uh, being awake to the nature of America as a systemically racist and uh, unjustly unequal society. So when you wake up to that, you become essentially an activist against that situation, that complex of factors. And then critical race theory means uh, this this academic discipline, it signals this academic discipline that trains you to understand that America is divided along the lines of racial power dynamics such that white people effectively function as oppressors who foment white supremacy, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And people of color are uh, are structurally oppressed people, uh, no matter what their situation is, whether they are millionaires or poor, it does not matter. That's how critical race theory approaches uh, our society. So these these ideologies, as you very rightly said just a minute ago, are cousins. They're very similar. They're simpatico with one another, and they pose a major threat to the Christian faith today. Tragically, very few Christians are being warned about these mm-hmm. systems, and even fewer still are being trained to understand them. And so that means that the gospel and the Christian worldview more generally is in danger of being hijacked today. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize before we move on is as an African-American, I know that racism exists in this country, but I wholly reject critical race theory. One of the uh, components of it is there's no redemption. It's not a, a matter of identifying racism as it exists either systematically or in the life of the individual. There's no redemption. You will always be the oppressor. I will always be the victim. There's no reconciliation or restoration. You are perpetually owing the victim, which would be me in this case. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, it's, again, antithetical to the Christian principle of redemption through Jesus Christ. Yeah, you can kind of understand how it has a sort of secular pull to it. If you take grace out of your worldview, if you take forgiveness and unity in Christ out of your way of thinking, honestly, this way of thought makes a lot of sense because it's basically a world of holding one another to account writ large across generations. Now, I don't mean to to indicate that these concepts are sound, but I do mean if you deny the existence of forgiveness, of grace, of getting over past sins, of making societal progress, if you believe that the, the evils of the past can never be overcome, 
then this is the system for you because it allows you basically to stereotype people to buy into race essentialism, the, the vision that there is a hard and fast reality of whiteness and blackness, for example, that separates us as human people. And then you can live in this kind of perpetual victimhood cycle where, yes, America has real failings and sins in its past. Uh, it, it, it hasn't magically extinguished them in the present, and we're going to fight partiality in the future. But this system teaches you that America is actually more racist today mm-hmm. in 2021 than in the days of white supremacy in the 19th century. And that is a claim that shows you that we are not in a system that is actually working against racism and for justice here. We are working with a system that is pro-racism in a new form, even though very few people know it to be that. Mm. And unlike the civil rights movement, the goal isn't a level playing field where we all have equal opportunity uh, to develop our gifts and to pursue opportunities. That's that's not the goal. It is to foment the, the kind of disunity that says you will owe me always and I will uh, take from you always because that's just your nature and there's no getting around it. Yes, it's very similar to when in a personal relationship we reject forgiveness. Uh, we all know that there can be hard relationships that we face. Every one of us does in some form. And we think in certain instances, I'm going to hang on to my bitterness here. Uh, this person has come to me and asked forgiveness, but it feels freeing to be angry, uh, to, to be a victim in our own mind. In reality, that, that is to be trapped. That is to be imprisoned by your anger. And, and tragically, uh, that is what wokeness does. It traps you in a cycle of anger and victimhood where you never can move past America's past failings, especially those that were codified in law and policy. And instead, you bring the, the anger of the past into the, into the present. And you then indict people who have had no participation, let's say, in slavery or Jim Crow or segregation, and are often bewildered by the claims of critical race theory. But that's what this system trains you to do. In doing so, it doesn't free you. It's not, it's not solving the problem of racism. It's actually entrapping you. Satan is actually behind this system, and, and he loves it because there's no forgiveness in it. There's no peace in it, and there certainly is no gospel unity in the name of Jesus Christ in it. We're talking about a neo-Marxist system. Uh, before we go to break here, can you give us a definition of critical race theory and wokeness? Yes, critical race theory is the view that America is divided along the lines of racial power dynamics with white people effectively in neo-Marxist terms as oppressors, and people of color as the oppressed. Wokeness is the broader mindset and mentality, I believe, that embracing critical race theory creates. So lots of people are never going to read a page of CRT, but they can be woke, which means being awake to the nature of systemic racism and inequality in America. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. The book is published by Salem Books. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing a conversation with Dr. Owen Strand. He is the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Now, when you think about the broader culture, there are major concerns about critical race theory and this call to become woke. But as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I'm most concerned about the problematic elements of the church embracing critical race theory. So let's talk about why it's problematic and where you see this headed if the church doesn't wake up. Yeah, great question. As I say in uh, Christianity and Wokeness, this new book, fundamentally, this is not the way to view the world because critical race theory, if embraced, actually trains you in neo-racism. It's grounded in race essentialism, or what is sometimes called strategic essentialism. Critical race theory is not actually grounded in the Christian faith or in a foundational truth system. It's grounded in midair. Its feet are firmly planted in midair. It's a postmodern system, but it trains us to at least act as if race is a real thing. And in doing so, it then builds off of that and says the history of America means that whiteness effectively creates a system of white supremacy that entraps people of color. And so we need to recognize this is a system that is making truth claims, not truth claims that are grounded in Christianity, uh, but truth claims that are grounded in neo-Marxist ideology. And the Christian faith speaks a much, much better word. It trains us that everybody is made in the image of God, that we have all fallen in Adam, Genesis 3, a real historical fall by a real historical Adam, and that we do all commit sins against one another. We do show partiality against one another, including because of skin color and background, and that is vile. That's sinful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Christian faith actually gives you the moral framework to know that racism is wrong, unlike postmodernism, which has no such foundation. Now, do critical race theorists... Um, see uh, CRT running parallel to Christianity in that social justice is ultimately the goal? Or do they, as neo-Marxists, reject the notion of religion or Christianity in particular as being part of the problem? That's a great question. You hear different tones from different people. Probably the best known woke voice in America today is Ibram X. Kendi, mm-hmm. a professor at Boston University. And Kendi rejects the form of Christianity, some sort of undefined form, but he rejects Protestant Christianity for what he calls anti-racism. And he has gone so far as to say that, this is a direct quote, anti-racism is life. And what he seems to mean by that is that even though he doesn't give you a fully coherent religious worldview, actually, Uh, his version of wokeness can function in those terms. If you will embrace being an anti-racist and working for social justice through anti-racism, you will end up uh, partaking of life. You will end up fully living. So we need to recognize that what voices like Kendi's offer us may not have a fully mapped out religious worldview, but they at least are functioning as if their worldview is the true one, and they and that we should not follow the Christian worldview, we should follow them. And there we see that these are oppositional systems. You cannot blend Christianity with critical race theory or with wokeness or with intersectionality the way people say you can. Now, how does this 
uh, align with or does it align with um, the liberal view of Christianity in which the general moral good, as opposed to the redemption of the individual soul through Jesus Christ, is ultimately the goal? Does this appeal to um, the, the, the more of a liberal view of, of Christianity? That is the point I make in the opening pages of this book. Uh, I think that this is basically a racialized form of the social gospel of a hundred mm-hmm. years ago. So I, I think this is new in one sense in that it's strongly focused on solving so-called systemic racism, which is basically a made up concept today in America from the left. But I, I do think it has all the, the infrastructure. It, it's built on the skeleton of the social gospel of a hundred years ago, which we thought in Protestant circles basically died out. Uh, Georgie, it turns out that the social gospel is not dead at all. No, It's back. It has a new spin. It has a strongly racial spin uh, that fits our age because everybody in America is terrified of being even called a racist. If you even throw the charge of racism in many people's direction, they, they will fall to the ground. They won't think it through. They won't defend themselves. They won't separate genuine partiality, true racism, so-called, uh, from, from fake racist charges. They will simply flee. And uh, anti-racists and woke voices and critical race theorists know that. And very, very few people will respond to the system. Very few people will destroy the stronghold in the Second Corinthians 10, 3 to 6 cents. And that is a huge part of why the racialized social gospel is advancing so imperially today. Mm. And why your book, uh, Christianity and Wokeness, is so important right now so that we can understand what's happening. And the fact that, from my perspective, this is a devilish plot to try to weaken the church and undermine God's calling on his people. Now, can you explain the concepts? You kind of touched on them a little bit. The concepts of white privilege and white supremacy, which, again, are used to bludgeon uh, Caucasians in our culture. Yeah, white privilege basically means that because white people are the dominant group, the majority group in American culture, there's just a horde of benefits that they have that people of color cannot have. So America is not an equal society um, because wokeness functions out of the, the ideology of, of neo-Marxism, and it believes that everybody should have equality of outcome. It believes that fundamentally to even have a majority culture is basically wrong. So white privilege is a very bad thing. I say this in the book, Georgine, but I think much of what woke voices call white privilege and indict as sinful and wrong is simply a function of having a majority culture. Mm -hmm. Most countries in the world have a majority culture. And there are some societal norms in Japan or in Russia or in Nigeria uh, or in Canada, places in Canada. Majority culture should not be understood as perfect, nor I, do I think, at least in a lot of places, should it be under, understood as inherently fundamentally evil. It's really a blend of things. But what critical race theory and wokeness do is poison majority culture, weaponize majority culture, and tell us that uh, when you have a lot of white people, you have this condition of white supremacy. That's the second term you asked about. White supremacy does not refer to burning crosses in front yards anymore. It refers to what happens when white people are white out in public. 
And that means that white people are constantly transmitting the biopower of whiteness. Uh, they're committing all sorts of what are called microaggressions in conversation, where because they are the, the majority group, they are effectively oppressing people, whether or not they ever say something racist or do something racist or not. So as you said a minute ago, this is a devilish system because it tells you that you are inherently racist as a white person or if you're somebody who hasn't challenged white supremacy. And then if you deny that you're a racist, it says, see, your denial proves that you're a racist. So it has you either way. It has all the exits covered. And that's one of the ways that it shows that it is uh, a bankrupt system. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation this afternoon with Dr. Owen Strand, the author most recently of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm so honored to have uh, Dr. Owen Strand uh, as our guest this afternoon. His book, uh, most recently, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. I think there's something appealing in general to believers who want desperately to be relevant in the culture, who want to address uh, issues of wrong and to try to set them right. Uh, the, the phrase social justice just appeals to the Christian heart where you want to to see things um, uh, repaired. And yet um, there is a move afoot that uh, would would draw us in and draw us away from what the scriptures teach. And I appreciate so much what this book, Christianity and Wokeness, does in helping to inform us not only what it means, how it's infiltrating the church, but what we can do uh, to stop it. Uh, because as followers of Jesus, our primary concern, I mean, the culture is going to go uh, its way. But what I'm primarily concerned about as a Christian is what does this mean for the church? And are we being distracted and, and lured away from what God is calling us to do? Now, Dr. Strand, do you think that um, uh, there is a purposeful indoctrination happening in the media, in the culture and schools and even in our churches? And what does that mean for believers and the church moving forward? Yeah, there are hard forms and softer forms. The harder forms are typically in our public school classrooms today, where critical race theory is definitely being taught. Uh, the left has reacted to the backlash, the just backlash, against CRT and wokeness by saying that conservatives and the far right are making CRT this boogeyman, uh, and, and they're, they're protesting that um, teaching against racism is happening in schools, and, and so the far right doesn't want to acknowledge racism. Again, it's, it's, it's creating this boogeyman. That is not at all the case. Um, CRT is very clearly getting into our schools. To give just one example, the Buffalo school system uh, was outed through internal documents uh, as teaching that white people are effectively white supremacists, the kind of ideas that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And so this is out there. This is, this is this is in the mix. We should assume it's in the boardroom. Uh, it's it's now increasingly in movies. It's in public schools. It's in entertainment, and it's definitely getting into the church. In many cases, it gets into the church in a soft form, and that's that's the way it works with the social gospel as well. Very few Protestant pastors are going to stand up and give an hour long diatribe about critical race theory in, in a pro CRT way. What they're going to do is they're going to Christianize it, and that's compromised, but they're going to say, we need to think through white fragility, 
white privilege, white supremacy. We need to think about um, uh, systemic racism and structural inequality. And that's the way that, that wokeness is getting into the church today, through the usage of those terms and then through literature that promotes this worldview, even though many pastors will say they're not themselves fully woke or fully pro-CRT. They're just trying to introduce some of the ideas for consideration. And it's through such weak and compromised leadership that the church is being influenced by the woke social gospel. Hmm. My next question was going to be, what are some of the signs of a woke church? And you've answered that question. But how can we address our concerns with church leadership? It, it can be awkward. It can be uh, challenging, strained. It, how can we approach as parishioners and, and perhaps among our listeners today, some leaders in the church? How can we do that in a way that's consistent with a, a Christian worldview, but addresses what's going wrong? Great question. As I say in Christianity and Wokeness, my new book, life is too short to sit under unsound doctrine. So what you need to do if these ideas are getting into your church, and you will be able to tell, you will know when secular sociology is coming into the pulpit and and the preacher is no longer standing upon the Word of God. If you hear the kind of ideas that we have talked about in this show, uh, then indeed you are hearing Wokeness talking. And I would encourage your listeners and I know you have many, to make an appointment with their pastor or their elders, whoever it may be, and sit them down and graciously talk through their convictional concerns. And if the leadership does not change course, does not repent, that's what they should do, uh, then it is time for you to find a new church, and you should do so uh, with wind in your sails, because you do not want to be taken captive by godless ideology, Colossians 2.8. And if you have a family as many folks will, you don't want them to be taken captive. You want to sit under sound doctrine, and you want to sit under the ministry of Christ's gospel, which is not a gospel fundamentally of, of racial hostility. It is a gospel of fundamental unity through the blood of Jesus Christ. What's at stake if the Church veers off course, as it sometimes does, uh, with critical race theory and becoming woke, reflecting the culture rather than the gospel? What's going to happen is what happened a hundred years ago with the social gospel, which tore through evangelicalism like a tornado. Um, basically, the social gospel took over many churches, many schools, many seminaries, many institutions, missions, agencies, and so on. And it corrupted them. And it caused many uh, one-time evangelical institutions to stop preaching the gospel of the new birth and to start preaching the gospel of cultural change. And to this day, the American mainline is still dying on the vine because of the, the introduction of the social gospel roughly 100 years ago. If we do not want that to happen in our time again, basically 100 years later, uh, we are going to have to fight like crazy, not fighting out of hatred of flesh and blood, uh, fighting out of love, love for God, love for God's truth, and love for image bearers. And church members, we don't want taken captive by these ideologies. We know how this story plays out. It played out just 100 years ago. There are books, dozens of books, written about the effects of the social gospel. And uh, it's going to happen again. It is now playing out in real time again. Satan is using a racialized social gospel in our day. And it is time for every Christian to get to the ramparts. It is time for every Christian to get to the wall. One of the major ways... You can do that, whether you are in ministry or not, whether you ever spend a minute in a seminary class or not. It does not matter. 
you can get equipped on these issues. You can read a book like mine, Christianity and Wokeness. You can pick up Bodie Bauckham's Fault Line. Mm-hmm. You can get Jeffrey Johnson's What Every Christian Needs to Know About Social Justice. And you can get equipped. And then you can start talking to people in your church, in your social group, in your workplace, in your school, and you can take a stand. And oftentimes, you actually don't need 6,000 people to take a stand for it to be effective. In many cases, the fire is lit by just one person in a community, in a church, in whatever environment it may be. So do not think that you are too small for the task and that God cannot use you because perhaps you may not be in ministry. That is a lie. God will use a Christian as salt light in incredible ways if we will stand on the Word of God. Amen. We're talking about Christianity and wokeness. I should mention that you have a recommended uh, recommended reading list, which is very helpful. You have some secular sources to understand wokeness uh, from proponents, as well as understanding wokeness from non-Christians and to answer wokeness for Christians. So that's in the book, as well as a glossary of terms as you're hearing them used to understand what's meant by them so that we can speak clearly and with understanding about this this issue in our day. Once again, the book is titled Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. The book is published by Salem Books just out, and I would highly recommend you read it if you want to be relevant and understand what's happening in the culture. I think you need to to do so with, you know, on your knees praying, God, how would you use me to speak truth to the culture and to the church uh, as needed. Uh, Dr. Strand, I am so grateful for you and your willingness to stand on truth and equip fellow believers so that we can honor Christ in our day here in the 21st century. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, those are very gracious words. I appreciate you very much, Georgine, and thank you for having me on. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. By the way, if you happen to be in your car and didn't get the title of the book, you can go to The Georgine Rice Show Facebook page or kpdq.com. You can call the office. We want to make sure you get Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. My conversation in the last uh, several segments with Dr. Owen Strand, his book, Christianity and Wokeness, in the introduction, he ends it by reminding us of a couple of scriptures that should embolden us, not by our own strength and power, but because we are uh, recipients of the Holy Spirit of God. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human uh, tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And then second Corinthians 10, five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And that's going to require some effort on our part. We are steeped in a secular culture that is uh, infiltrating the church and drawing us away from the central tenets of the gospel And if we are intentional, if we are followers of Jesus who are committed to his word and to uh, his way, um, he will see us through it. I'm not fearful about that at all. There may be opposition. There may be trials ahead, um, trials that we can't even conceive of today that may be coming. Uh, But I'm not fearful about it. I just want to be faithful to what I know to be true because the world desperately needs the redemptive gospel of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made in order that you and I can enjoy fellowship with him. 
I don't want to see my neighbors deprived of that kind of fellowship, that kind of love and freedom that we enjoy in Christ. So I don't want to go about this in a way that's combative. I don't want to engage in arguments and and win because I deserve to win. I, I want to go about this in a way that reflects the way Jesus would approach these kinds of subjects and pray for his wisdom, his timing, when to speak, when to remain silent, to educate myself so that I am prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within me when the time comes. So I hope you'll do the same. And I think Dr. Strand's uh, book, Christianity and Wokeness, is one great resource that you might consider. He mentioned several others. And as I uh, said during the interview, and I'm trying to find it here, I put it over to the one side. Uh, He mentioned several books that are excellent on the subject, particularly from a Christian perspective. And if I can grab it here and it doesn't look like I can, I've got too many, too many papers, but I mentioned he has a glossary of terms. Here it is recommended reading. Um, uh, uh, Vadi Bakum fault lines. Excellent book. I would highly recommend it. The social justice movement and evangelicalism's looming catastrophe. And that's not an overstatement. I'm sorry uh, to say, um, There's another one titled, What Standard? God's World, God's Rules. Um, Tom Askell and Jared Longshore, um, A Biblical Answer for Racial Unity by Caldwell or Richard Caldwell. Jeffrey Johnson's book, What Does the Bible Teach About Social Justice? Uh, That's published by Free Grace Press. They're all um, current books, so you can find them again in the book, which I hope you'll Uh, You'll read, uh, you'll find that list and others to help us be better prepared to answer, not just out of frustration or anger, but with grace, because I don't know about you, but I have experienced the lavish grace of God that I was not worthy of. And yet he has just, whoo, bless me in ways that are amazing. Anyway, moving on, I wanted to mention the uh, New American Bible Societies, their study that found that active participation in the church leads to flourishing. And that's something our Culture is desperate for. I mentioned yesterday that teenagers are increasingly um, lonely and depressed. And this corresponds to uh, the rise of social media and technology that gives greater access than ever before. Well, the American Bible Society released uh, the fourth chapter of their 11th annual State of the Bible report. It highlights cultural trends in the United States regarding spirituality and scripture engagement. And both really need to go together. Spirituality without scripture engagement is uh, going to be a little bit hollow. Well, today's, uh, well, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, the release shows that although society is experiencing anxiety and despair in the wake of the pandemic, people who engage in scripture develop deep roots of faith and relationship that lead to human flourishing. The first four chapters are currently available to download, and you might want to check that out, stateofthebible.org, and it's free, stateofthebible.org. The verdict is in, active engagement with the Bible and Christian community is strongly associated with higher levels of both hope and holistic human flourishing. Now, you know, we know what the scripture says about, you know, someone who walks in his ways and, and the kind of life we enjoy, and here we have confirmation of that. John Farquhar uh, Plake, who is the director of ministry uh, intelligence for the American Bible Society, says this. This is the third state of the Bible study in which we've looked closely at the relationship between the Bible, faith and well-being, the good life. And while our nation has struggled with the effects of the pandemic, Americans with deep roots in the Bible and Christian community have been remarkably resilient. In fact, they have flourished. We're seeing that even when we face the storms of life, an act of faith rooted in the Bible and the church 
guides us toward a better future that's filled with hope, purpose, and satisfaction, end quote. Well, the findings come from a survey that was conducted by the American Bible Society back in January of this year, in which the data was gathered from some 3,300 online interviews with American adults in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, with an additional 91 responses from Gen Z youth. Uh, for this year's report, the American Bible Society released nine chapters, and they're doing that throughout the year. The first four chapters are currently available, and again, stateofthebible.org. The fourth chapter, The Good Life, examines how the Bible and an active faith life contribute to human flourishing. And some of the key findings from this most recently released chapters, hope appears to increase with age. Now, you'd think skepticism or cynicism would increase with age, but not for those who are biblically engaged and uh, in the church. Younger generations are less hopeful about their future than older generations. Boomers and elders record higher than average hope scores, suggesting that older Americans are more likely to feel a sense of control over their own future than younger adults. Also, a key finding in this recently released chapter, hope follows Bible use. In other words, Bible reading, Bible study, meditation across all other demographics. If someone engages with scripture on a regular basis, they have more hope and are more able and willing to forgive others. And don't we need that right now? The data suggests that connection to the Bible and Christian community provides hurting people with a bridge to hope and healing. Uh, Last year, between January and June of 2020, uh, mean scores for Harvard University's measure of holistic human flourishing dropped across every domain for Americans. The most dramatic drops occurred in the domains of happiness and life satisfaction and financial and material stability. However, these two flourishing items also saw the highest rate of rebound by January of 2021. Well, scripture engagement has a positive correlation with all six human flourishing domain, uh, domains. In every case, the study, and again, one of the uh, findings in the fourth chapter, uh, in every case, consistent and meaningful interaction with the Bible increases holistic well-being. Consistent Bible engagement may bolster a virtuous life and give ethical stability and feeling of purpose. And finally, one of the major findings in the study in the fourth Chapter, the one most recently released, holistic well-being is not determined by one's financial status, except among Americans' lowest income households. There is no relationship between flourishing and income. Conversely, scripture engagement and church engagement are significant predictors of holistic well-being. Well, between August and December of uh, this year, well, last in this year, American Bible Society will release five new chapters in the state of Bible study, including reports on how Gen Z understands the Bible in faith, views on and use of scripture among church traditions and denominations, and the relationship between the Bible, money, and generosity. And again, to download the first four chapters of the State of the Bible 2021 ebook, you can go to stateofthebible.org. And that's a publication of the American Bible Society. They've been around since 1816 They've been making the Bible available to every person in a language and format uh, each can understand and afford. So there you have it. Once again, I want to encourage you to uh, pick up the the book, American, uh, no, I'm looking at the wrong title, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Uh, Owen Strand, it's spelled like uh, Strahan, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, but 
It's Strand, Christianity and Wokeness. I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.